And welcome to the Christmas edition of the Met Aaron podcast. I'm Liz Walsh. I'm Noel Fitzpatrick. And in this episode, we are digging into all things snow, how snowflakes form, what causes snowfall in Ireland and its importance to the climate. And of course, our white Christmases. But first, we are going to check in with our in-house choir, the Isobars, and their Christmas preparations. My name is Eva Murray. I'm meteorologist here at Medairn, and I'm also the conductor of the Isobars Choir. Eva, who's in the Isobars? Well, we're made up of a variety of staff. We, had, we have serving and retired staff, and we're from all across the divisions um, in Medairn. So you have people from forecasting to instrumentation to research. So a great mixed bunch. We have newer members of staff and older members of staff. Right. And how did the choir come about? Well. For a number of years, there's been a group of us singing at an annual mass. So we have a mass every year for deceased members, members of staff. And so I knew there was the makings of a, a choir there. And a few years ago, I did a, a course in choral conducting. So kind of wanted to keep that up. And so I thought the best thing to do would be to set up a workplace choir. And workplace choirs are becoming very uh, common now, you know. So um, it's a great thing for morale, for social interaction and for bringing people from diverse jobs and uh, from across organisations together. And you mentioned it started in the Mass, and it's but since then you guys have performed at lots of different events, right? Yeah, so really a variety of events. So we've played at in-house things here. Um, we've played, we've taken part in the Workplace Choir of the Year competition, which has been fun. And we have also done a number of conferences. So a few years ago, the European Met Society had a conference and we sang for the delegates there up at the Helix. And then probably our biggest gig to date was when we sang at the uh, Win the Shakes, the Island conference at the RDS. So we have played the RDS main hall, we can say. <laughs> what will 2020 hold for the isobars, do you think? Oh, what will 2020 hold? Um, well, I hope we get, I'd love to get to attract a few new members and uh, learn a few more songs. We, we have yet to exhaust the, the weather repertoire, so a lot of our repertoire will be re- weather-related songs, so um, we'll definitely add a few more. Um, and I hope we'll take part maybe in a, a competition or two around the country and yeah. Great. Well, on behalf of the podcast team, mm-hmm. uh, thank you for all the work that the Isobars have done, both providing the songs and on all the work that goes in behind the scenes for each song. You know, we, we get to hear it at the end of the show, but there's obviously a lot of work that's gone in to get that. So and we're really looking forward to some more tunes from me in the new year. Great. An absolute pleasure. So we'll be hearing again from the Isobars at the end of the show. And we heard just a snippet there of them rehearsing White Christmas. And we associate snowfall with Christmas here in Ireland. But uh, I don't know how realistic that is. Yeah, um, in Ireland, snow occurs like most frequently in the months December to March. But um, as far as like White Christmases, I think... We've had um, nine Christmas days with snow lying on the ground at 9am in the morning. And... Um, and That's since the 60s, right? Yeah. 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 And then uh, countrywide snow fell on 16 day, Christmas days, at least at, at least one of our synoptic stations since 1961. 
Um, so, and the maximum depth of snow ever recorded um, on Christmas Day was, of course, in 2010. Uh, when there was 27 centimetres at Casement Aird. But I think a lot of that association of White Christmas is, uh, I mean, a lot of people uh, attribute it to Dickens, that he, uh, a lot of his novels at that time were uh, particularly A Christmas Carol, which came out in uh, 1843, I think it was. It uh, depicted this really snowy, magical Christmas. And that's attributed to the fact that when he was growing up, there was this period of um, unusually cold winters. It was part of what's known as the the Little Ice Age, which was during from the, like, the 16th to the 19th century. And it, it created this image of really snowy winters that has lived on to this day, really. That's right, yeah. The most common months for snow in Ireland are actually uh, further on. They're in January and February of the year. Um, and, you know, December snow is a relatively... Um, rare phenomenon, although we can get snow any time really from October to May. <laughs> um, but although in the fringy months like October and May, um, the snow would, any snow would kind of melt very quickly and probably be of the wet variety. Yeah, we, we, we can have many a winter without any sort of major snowfall either. I know um, we started measuring snow systematically at our stations from 1942. And I think uh, since then, on average, um, the coastal stations will get maybe one to two days per year uh, where you have maybe a centimetre or more of snow. But there is this difference that we see then between coastal and inland stations. Inland stations have a tendency to get more snowfall uh, up to about 10 days per year. And then if you go to places, maybe more mountainous regions, like say the upper parts of Wicklow, they can have up to 30 days per year uh, of, uh, of snowfall, some of the stations there. Uh, and and we not only do we see this difference between the coast and uh, the more inland stations. We also see a difference between the south and the north. Generally, like the southwest extreme, southwest, like Cork and Kerry, um, can maybe only see maybe five days per year with any kind of snowfall at all, you know, some sort of flakes coming out of the sky. Whereas maybe the North Midlands uh, can see maybe up to, up to 24, 25 days per year. Um, so we see both an inland and coastal uh, variation and a north and south variation as well. Yeah, and for many people as well, like just getting back to a white Christmas, like, you know, it's not the same thing. It's, uh, you know, some bookies, uh, you know, they right, they yeah. um, they uh, mark a white Christmas is when um, some snow falls, uh, one flake of snow, I think, um, at Dublin Airport. That's right. Um, yeah. it, on Christmas Day it constitutes a white Christmas for some bookies. Um, but um for for many people, I think you know a, a white Christmas would constitute a complete covering of snow on the ground. The statistical um, likelihood of snow falling at Dublin Airport is approximately um, once every five point nine years, um, so once every six years. That's not bad. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and as well, snow fell on Christmas Day twelve times in the last seventy one years. Okay, even stepping away then from Christmas Day itself. Um, We've had some notable sort of snowfall and, and, and cold weather events here in Ireland. I think the greatest depth we've had recorded at one of our stations was back on New Year's Eve in 1962. We had, it was 45 centimetres of snow depth on, on the ground at Casement. But... Uh, Casement Aerodrome Casement again. Aerodrome, yeah. Again, yeah. it's a snowy spot. But it doesn't really compare when we look at some other places around the world. Like, for example, if we look at uh, Japan, the Japanese Weather Service, um, their snowiest station... Uh, is a place called uh, Sukayu and their snow depth record so ours is 45 centimetres theirs was 523 centimetres 
um, with an annual snowfall record there. So the amount of snow that fell in one year of 2,376 centimetres. So that's almost 24 metres of snow falling in a year. Oh my goodness. I like I, you don't actually think of like Japan as a snowy place because like it's an island, right? You know, you you know, you think about you know a snowy place and you're thinking about, you know, mountainous regions, um, like large continents like, you know, Canada and um and Russia. But in fact, Japan is actually one of the snowiest places on earth. Um it is, it and is it's indeed. it's basically um due to what is it due to, no? Yeah, well as exactly as you say, it's an island. Um, but because not too far away from it is Siberia and you get these cold winds coming from Siberia down from the north and from the northwest uh, relative to Japan. Uh, and these blow over then before reaching Japan, they hit the ocean, which is a little bit warmer. And you get a lot of sort of convection, this bubbling up of clouds and it pushes frequently these big, heavy snowstorm showers into Japan. So the mountains of Japan um, are a haven for fresh powder skiers uh, during the winter. That's uh, a target for uh, for skiers who love to get into that really powdery, fluffy snow every year. So it's really about, you know, those cold temperatures mixing with moisture and like um, creating the perfect uh, storm, if you like, for um, lots and lots of snow. Absolutely. But I mean, we don't have to don't have to look to Japan. I mean, we have had some some major events here. I mean, the one that that historically is probably the most well known is what they refer to as White 47. So 1947, I mean, not necessarily a huge snowfall event. But it was this really prolonged period of cold weather that started in, in January of, of 1947 and stretched right through till, till mid-March. Um, but even, even more recently then, in, in 2010, as we kind of mentioned already, at Casement we had uh, some record snowfall. Um, but we had a very cold period in Ireland from mid-November to Christmas Day. And this was when we had this easterly airflow coming from the continent and it was pushing these uh, snow showers in off the Irish Sea. And uh, we had, at, at that point, we had the coldest uh, November and December temperatures that we've ever recorded uh, with our station. So in November, I think it was uh, minus 11.5 in Wexford. And in December, it was minus 17.5 in Mayo. Um, that was on Christmas Eve. I was driving home that evening, actually. So I had been, I just started with Matt Aaron and we were um, driving home for, for the holidays back to Sligo. And, well, that was playing on repeat. Actually, what was playing on the radio was a audio version of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, believe oh, it or wow. not. It was really, really good, really atmospheric. And I was driving through, I had had to drive to Galway first, and then I was driving Galway to Sligo. And there was this thick freezing fog, you know, I could only see a few meters ahead. And I had this uh, temperature sensor in the car. And I had, you know, parked it near weather station. So I knew that it was fairly accurate, whatever. And I could see it ticking down, ticking down. And it hit minus 17.5 <sighs> driving through Mayo in thick fog. And all I could hear was Dickens coming through the radio. So that was a wow. real Christmas Eve memory. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a cool memory, though. I, I unfortunately was not in Ireland at the time. I, I was uh, I was in New Zealand at that point. So. <laughs> Where it would have been summertime. At that exactly. Time, yeah. <laughs> the exact opposite. <laughs> but you would have been here for more recently, uh, Storm Emma in 2018. Yeah, that's right. Um, like Storm Emma um, was, again, it was that perfect, uh, well, the perfect storm of moisture and cold air. So we, we had um, an easterly flow um, with a large high pressure um, over the Scand- over Scandinavia. And that was drawing easterly air coming from a f- as far away from Siberia. And at that time of year, the continent was quite cold. Um, so you had the cold temperatures and that was being blown across um, the North Sea and and in 
in turn by across the Irish Sea. So before Storm Emma came up, we actually had what they call the Beast from the East, which was, you know, the same thing, well, you know, that you referred to earlier with Japan. You had that convection, that bubbling up over over the warm sea. The warm Irish Sea. Yeah, and mixing with the cold air and that caused some significant snow showers um, over the eastern half of the country. Um, But then um, Storm Emma developed over... uh, the Bay of Biscay and tracked northwards towards Ireland and um, its associated frontal systems during that first week of March in 2018. And you had the strong Siberian winds fed by moisture from Storm Emma while moving up from the south and that resulted in a spell of heavy snow and blizzard conditions that led, you know, we had considerable drifting um, on high ground and um, and you had snow drifts, flooding, high winds, multiple, multiple hazards, multiple weather hazards. Um, and in fact, you know, sh- it shut down the country for three days. But in fact, some rural like villages were like, you know, cut off for the guts of a week. Absolutely. I guess it was because it was combined with this wind, right? So it was creating these big wind drifts where you might have had, you know, actual snowfall of, you know, not insignificant, you know, maybe like 40 centimetres or something. But you were getting these because it was combined in this kind of blizzard conditions. Uh, it was accumulating in places of you know, uh, you know, over a meter, and it was completely blocking off these these smaller towns and villages. I just remember that you know that video um, of Dublin Airport, um, you know, uh, like, and it was just it it was just insane, you know, the the wind and the snow, and I mean, it just looked like a proper nor'easter storm in the United States, you know, not something that you'd be used to getting in Ireland at all. So um, that is one of the things, though, um, about snow um, in Ireland. We don't get it that often. And so therefore, it, ca- it um, causes quite a lot of um, disruption. Yeah, you, you said we don't get it that often. I mean, I suppose our location in a, in a sort of maritime climate is is a contribution to that, right? Yeah, we're we're basically surrounded by warm seas, um, like or relatively warm seas, um, not particularly warm when you're out in it. And especially during the winter time, um, they have a moderating influence on our climate. Like you know, if you look at like places like across the North Atlantic at the same latitude as us, um, by um, you know even on the coast of Canada, you know they're getting um, their average uh, like snow. Um, for the year, even on the coast, like, I mean, I think there was some place I looked up like Cartwright um, in Canada, right on the coast, um, you know, 14 metres above sea level, something like that. They get um, an average of over 400 centimetres of snow um, happening um, during their winter period. And most of that happens kind of after Christmas. It's like January, February, this, the idea of this uh, uh, seasonal drift. So in Ireland, we're much warmer um, because well, number one, we're an island surrounded by warm seas, but we're also under the influence of um, a, quite an active jet stream. And um, and I suppose in some ways the Gulf Stream as well, um, it, it coming up the that North Atlantic drift coming up from warmer climes. And so often snow is a can be a very marginal event here. Yeah, as you say, people often consider the North Atlantic drift as being one of the big reasons why we have a mild climate, but it's this westerly airflow is is the dominant reason, yeah. right? It's, it's pushing this yeah. this moist, uh, milder air over Ireland. But obviously, adding to that then is the fact that 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 ocean that is around us is that little bit warmer because of the fact that we've got this extension of the Gulf Stream called the North Atlantic Drift. Um, and actually, we covered that a bit in in I think episode two of our podcast, so you can yeah, go back right, and listen to Pat that. Clark. That's right. Yeah. Um, in Ireland, and we talked a bit about Storm Emma there, but. Um, there are a number of different kind of setups or, or sort of meteorological conditions that can lead to snowfall, right? 
Yeah, that's right. Um, like, you know, basically for, for to get snow in Ireland, you need the air to be coming from, it needs to be coming from a cold place. And so cold places, it's not the south and it's really not the west either. And we, um, like, like our prevailing like wind direction is southwesterly. So, you know, that that will tell you something about um, the instances of snow. But basically you need it either to be coming from the north or the east. Um, and a lot of the time we will get a northwesterly flow. And even though it has a westerly component, um, that can produce snow, especially in parts of the northwest. Um, like places like Donegal and Mayo would probably see a lot of snow showers, um, especially um, in a polar maritime or Arctic maritime airflow. Um, so like you basically have um, the cold air um, becoming unstable, um, passing over a warmer sea, producing heavy showers and then the heavy showers falling on the land, probably not on the coast, but just a few kilometres inland, they fall as snow and they're probably it's probably rain on the coast. And similarly, to get snow really in the east and south of the country, you really need an easterly component um, for your uh, for for your airflow. So it's, you know, ideally it's the easterly um, beast from the east um, idea that you, you get or the perfect um, storm of like Storm Emma, something coming up from the south, mixing with cold air that's already in place and, and causing all that snow. The occurrence of, of that easterly flow or beast from the east, as you said, uh, we're hearing a bit more in the last few years about uh, sudden stratospheric warming, right? And the link between um, this change in, in what we usually have as a westerly sort of airflow over on to this easterly airflow and the link between that and the development of a sudden stratospheric warming. Um, I had a chat with Paul Moore, who people would, would have heard, would hear every month on our climate summaries, um, but he works in our climate observations division and he explained to me a little bit about what uh, a sudden stratospheric warming is. Well, the, the stratospheric polar vortex is an area of low pressure in the stratosphere, a cold, very cold cord, low pressure with strong winds spinning around it. So creating a vortex that spins up in the, uh, in the winter polar regions in the stratosphere. Um, it can have a major, major effect on mid-latitude weather depending on its its state and how it affects the troposphere. A, a strong stratospheric vortex, uh, which is well coupled with the tropospheric vortex in the polar regions, can give us our, our typical um, strong kind of westerly, strong jet stream, westerly flow, lots of low pressures, mild. Uh, so the weather we're kind of used cool. to. Yeah. The weather we're kind of used yeah. to. Um, occasionally, the this, this stratospheric polar vortex gets disrupted um, and a sudden and a warming happens in the stratosphere the zonal winds can go can reverse from westerly to easterly and the measurement of the stratospheric sudden stratospheric warming is when the zonal winds go below zero meters per second so as in go from westerly to easterly it takes a while to filter down into the troposphere and if it's if it's well coupled with the troposphere it can disturb the tropospheric uh, polar vortex so it can send the cold air that's over the polar regions in the troposphere it can send it south into the mid latitudes whether we're in a in line to re to receive this cold air or not depends on the uh the planetary conditions of the, of the troposphere at the time okay and are there certain indicators that you would be looking at to see um if say for example a sudden stratospheric warming is potentially going to build or, or has already formed um, you can forecast a, a stratospheric, sudden stratospheric warming by about 10 days out. 
Um, the forecast models can have have quite a good handle of it. Ten days out, anything over that they don't. But if they do forecast it ten days out, and you and it, it takes maybe it can take two weeks to a month or to filter down into the troposphere. That gives you quite a long lead time. Um, you know, of a forecast of disturbing the troposphere, tropospheric polar vortex. So when we get these easterly winds, then, as you say, they probably take time to to work their way down to the surface where, where we feel them. Um, and I guess that's resulted in some some fairly noticeable cold weather periods we've had here in Ireland. Yeah, it, t- it tends to replace the low pressure polar vortex in the, tro- in the in the troposphere with high pressure in in the in the polar regions and if you if you put high pressure in the polar regions you're pushing the low pressures away further south and you're also causing blocking so if you've a high pressure over scandinavia greenland area that causes blocking and it causes the our winds in our neck of the woods to turn easterly around that high pressure and if the the cold air is pushed away from the pole around that high pressure it can come down through Russia and across the continent towards us and that has happened on, on many occasions in the past so that's that beast from the east you hear people talk about is that yes there was a there was a um a sudden stratospheric warming on the 12th of February 2018 okay. and that led directly a few weeks later, by the end of, of February, to the beast from the east coming around the area of high pressure, the cold air coming around the area of high pressure and spilling in over us and causing the beast from the east. And then Emma, the storm, came up from the south and hit the cold air. Recently, we've become familiar with the sudden stratospheric warming with um, some of these sort of extreme cold weather events we've had. But do we always get cold weather with the sudden stratospheric warming? No. Um more than statistically probably more than 50 percent of the time but not just a little bit more than 50 percent of the time um last uh, beginning of this year 2019 in january there was also sudden stratospheric warming um but the way it was set up it didn't propagate down into the troposphere as as the one in 2018 did um so it so the reversal in zonal winds didn't propagate into the troposphere which is what we would need for it to lead for the cold air to seep down towards us. Um, it has to do with other factors as well, like the quasi-binomial oscillation. Okay, <laughs> right. Maybe I won't go into that. <laughs> One of the maybe global events in related to sort of se- severe winters is, is in 1816. It was kind of known as the year without a summer. And the average global temperatures decreased by up to uh, 0.7 degrees Celsius. And this uh, resulted in a lot of things like, for example, major food shortages in uh, the Northern Hemisphere. But what was really interesting about that is is the driver of that. And looking back through the records, scientists uh, knew that there had been a massive uh, volcanic eruption the year before in 1815. Uh, So this was uh, Mount Tambora, which is uh, basically in modern day Indonesia. And this was the largest uh, eruption that's been recorded uh, in human history. Um, at least it, they were estimate the largest in about 1,300 years. And it was so big that they could hear this eruption 2,000 kilometers away. So it was absolutely enormous. 
Wow. Yeah. And if you can imagine the force that this thing has, it's pumping a huge amount of dust and material really high up into the atmosphere. And what happens when you push that amount of uh, material into the atmosphere, into the stratosphere, so it's like the next level up above, so sort of uh, above, you know, sort of 10 kilometers or so in height, um, that dust acts uh, to reflect some of the light coming in from the sun. So it has the influence of actually cooling the temperature of the Earth. So uh, because the dust is is quite fine, it's quite light, and it can stay elevated up in the stratosphere for quite a long period of time, maybe for a year or two. So the following year, uh, we had this global cold spell uh, in 1816, and as they say, basically the year without any summer. The whole aspect of snow forecasting in Ireland. Um, I'd imagine, it's, I mean, it's so tricky, right? Between, you kind of mentioned, even on the coast, something that might fall as rain will then fall as snow a little bit further inland. And it's such a visual thing as well. So, like, people really know when you get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like, they will really notice. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, it's, you know, it can be something spectacular. So, um, and but also it can also be so incredibly borderline mm. as to whether people will see snow or not. It and can it, be... Um, it's particularly kids as well. You know, if you said, oh, it's going to snow and they're like, okay, it's going to be snow in the morning and it doesn't happen. I think they're probably your harshest, harshest critics. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing, you know, about snow, it's like, it, you know, at the top of the atmosphere, it's almost always snowing um, because it's so cold. I um, mean, you know, the higher up, obviously, you know, you're used to seeing like snowy peaks on mountains and stuff like that. That's because the air is colder up there. So any precipitation you're going to get, it's going to be cold. So, you know, a lot of the time you either have um, snow or supercooled raindrops up there. But as it falls to earth and it moves through the warmer air, um, the snow, most of the time it, it melts and um, it just falls as, as rain. Or and like, you know, if the air is cold enough near the surface, you might see some sleet or hail. Um, and that's it's usually to do with where exactly the freezing level is. So um, a lot of the time you see pictures sometimes, um, you know, in the newspapers and they'll show you this lovely um, frosty scene, maybe of like, you know, the mountains in the background. And then um, you can see you can almost see the snow level. Um, and, and that's that's called the freezing level. It's, it's basically where um, the temperature has gone below zero. And um, above that point, um, the the. Uh, the precipitation or the rain is falling as snow and then below that point it's basically turning into rain but there are some several things that you look at when you're when you're trying to forecast snow and the the whole thing is you know as i discussed earlier it's like where the air is coming from so um if it's coming from a slightly direct, different direction and it's coming over milder water. So say we've got an easterly flow, but maybe it's just slightly southeast. <laughs> like you might, ha you might just have a hint of like water that might be 0.5 degrees Celsius warmer. And that could be the difference between rain and snow at the surface. Um, so the, and also the other thing as well is like sometimes you'll have very heavy precipitation. So um, sometimes that can pull down the freezing level. So, um, and I have been on the desk where um, the freezing level has been pulled down by 500 metres. And the most difficult one, um, and particularly, I think it was, um, it, it was a spectacular event on March 3rd, uh, 28 or 2019, actually, you know, almost a year um, <laughs> after Storm Emma. Um, and it was a, a really difficult situation. We actually had Storm Freya off the coast, which didn't really affect us, but it did cause, it was a, 
um, a frontal boundary. Um, and uh, we had a, a boundary of cold air meeting warm air. So the system um, was moving along the south coast, so coming from a warm place. And um, there was warm air and moisture wrapped into it. And um, you need the moisture um, f- for the snow to form. But the warm air makes it very tricky to forecast if it's going to fall as rain or snow. So as the warm air bumps into the cold air, it's it's basically um, sliding over the top of the cold air. It's kind of going up over it. And um, you've got the moisture then falls through the cold air and turns to snow. Um, so you can have this, um, but you often you kind of find there's a very fine line as to who sees snow and who sees rain. And that was the whole thing with um, Storm Freya on that fateful Sunday where lots of motorists saw snow falling on the ground, even though the forecast did say snow was going to, <laughs> rain was going to turn to snow. We weren't quite sure where that frontal boundary was going to be um, over the country. And um, some places saw lots of snow and some places you know, didn't. And um, it's it's those borderline wet snow events um, that, you know, really make forecasting like, you know, an art, an, almost an art, but also very frustrating sometimes um, because, you know, you could be forecasting snow and then it doesn't happen. And then you might say, well, it'll be mostly of rain, but it'll be snow above this certain level. And then it falls lower because the precipitation was slightly heavier. It pulled the freezing level down and you got snow at the surface. So, Noel, um, you spent a lot of time studying glaciers. <laughs> and like, you know, so um, you kind of have this, um, I, this wealth of knowledge about, you know, snow and winter. And, and I like, you know, you've been up in the polar north. How does snow form? Sure. Well, I guess in terms of my interest in it, I mean, it comes like, as mm. I mentioned earlier, I think every kid in Ireland hoping that there's going to be a snow day, but um, it's something that I just took to the nth degree. Um, snow is really, it begins with like a tiny piece of dust or a piece of um, pollen or even a p- bacteria and something that a water droplet can freeze onto. And that happens uh, high up in, in, in the clouds. And uh, what that does is it forms a tiny ice crystal and that's going to act as the seed for your snowflake that's going to form. Your snow crystal to start off with, so this little little droplet of water that's frozen onto, as I said, like a piece of dust or something like that, um, it'll be heavier than air. So it will gradually start to sink down through the air or drop down through the cloud. People will have heard this idea of every snowflake being different and being unique. Um, Actually, when you look at them on a very basic level, they're all the same. So they all have this uh, six-sided or hexagonal shape. And uh, there's a very solid reason for that. Basically, the way that water molecules join together, uh, the bonds between them in a very specific way, means that they form this hexagonal shape at the microscopic level. And this shape simply just keeps repeating itself so that at the large scale that we can see with our own naked eye, uh, we can see uh, the continuation of that pattern into the larger shape of the snowflake. So basically a snowflake is showing us a representation of how the water molecules are joining together at a microscopic level. So they have this beautiful six-sided shape and all snowflakes have that. But uh, as we uh, as we grow our snowflake, we start to get the variation that people associate with, uh, with it's all the complexities and, and how we never get the same shape twice. Um, basically, this is down to the temperature and the humidity that a snowflake passes through as it's going towards the ground. So there's so many different variations of 
temperature and how much water vapor is in the air. And this will determine uh, what kind of shape it has. But they all still have six sides. But the snowflake gives us a record of the different temperature and humidity conditions that that flake has encountered as it's fallen down to the cloud. And that sort of journey that it's taking is unique to that snowflake. So that's where the uniqueness or the individuality of the flake comes from. I'm, oh, a, I'm yeah. reminded there of um, uh, like a balloon, like going up into the atmosphere, measuring the temperature and humidity, and you've got the snowflake, um, you know, doing, well, the equal and opposite thing there um, with that. I suppose um, one of the things I think we hear, I mean, I, I mentioned it just there with forecasting snow. Um, what is the difference between like dry, powdery snow and wet snow? Sure. Uh, it's predominantly due to, to, to temperature. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there's so many different types of, of snow. I mean, we kind of, you, you mentioned it earlier as well. I mean, you have snow, you have sleet, you have all these kinds of things. And it's, it's again down to that journey that the snow is taking as it falls towards us. So um, if the air isn't continuously above uh, or below freezing as it's going to the surface, uh, we can have, say, some melting that may take place. So, for example, if you like a thin layer of warm air uh, before... Um, the snowflake reaches the ground, but then it's cold again right before the surface, you can get sleet, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, another thing that can happen is, for example, if you have snow as it falls through, uh, maybe a thin layer of warm air, it melts um, and then reaches the ground as a, as a liquid water droplet, but it's still very cold. In some cases, liquid water can be below zero degrees Celsius. And if that liquid water touches the ground uh, below uh, the, a ground that's maybe, you know, minus, you know, four or five degrees or something like that, it makes contact with some kind of surface, it can freeze instantly. And that's what's called freezing rain. So, um, and it's akin to like the icing that happens on, on exactly airplanes, like further up in the atmosphere, obviously, but a similar kind of um, effect of, of the, of their liquid. And then they attach to a surface and they just become this, um, like, huge hazard yeah, a massive hazard <laughs> yeah. yeah and and as you say this is the equivalent happening on the surface so you can get these deposits of ice building up you know turning roads into ice rinks and uh, putting a huge amount of weight on trees and electricity poles and things like that and, and it can bring them down uh, there was a massive ice storm in uh, North America in 1998 and it caused chaos there was something like 3 million people in Canada without power for up to a month and a half because it just destroyed the entire uh, electricity network all these pylons were just crumpled and crushed the pictures online are amazing just because they had uh, something like 4 inches so you're talking about over 10 centimeters of ice uh, accumulated on every surface you can imagine and that's a huge amount of weight and uh, the system just can't handle that um so that, that that can be a really hazardous event that that freezing rain, and and in Ireland we can also get you know ice falling from the sky, even when it's not cold, and this can sort of surprise people sometimes. Surely, as you hear it all the time, people giving out about oh why is there hail falling and certainly yeah I mean hail is a I think it's probably more common in Ireland than freezing rain right because we don't often have the conditions for that um, to to occur but certainly we get we do get a lot of hail and and hail really can happen at any time of the year and it's basically um, that's basically just to in the summertime it's you know it's obviously less of a, a common phenomena um, but it's basically because the like I said you know high up in the atmosphere the air is cold so whatever's it's falling winter up there. Yeah, yeah it's always winter up there so whatever's falling um, up there is is either some form of super cooled or ice or or um, 
or, or snow. Um, and so you have these massive thunderstorms um, that can produce, um, that, you know, that can fall through the air during a, you know, during a heavy rain event and they can fall as, as hail. And that's at any time of the year. But more, more specifically, the kind of the hail season in Ireland is kind of October to May. Um, and that obviously causes a lot of hazards um, when it comes to uh, like roads and stuff like that, because you basically got ice falling on a road and within minutes um, it can just, you know, you've got an ice and that can be in the middle of the day. In fact, I think um, last year's um, like a road ice um, report had uh, the the lowest temperature or um, lowest road temperature um, actually didn't occur at night. It occurred at 2 p.m. during the day during a hailstorm. Okay. So, um, so you know, that'll tell you something about that. And yeah, certainly treacherous conditions um, with hail. And you hit on an interesting point there about how, you know, you get them from thunderstorms because I think mm. by definition, um, a cloud that has hail in it or has these frozen elements is known as a cumulonimbus cloud, but that's essentially a thunderstorm cloud. And it's actually the interactions, the, the, the friction between these different bits of hail banging off each other that generates the charge needed for thunderstorms to create lightning. But uh, we, we may be going into um, a storm chasing episode in the new year, so maybe we'll dig into that a bit more in, in that episode. So, of course, you know, once you do get snow, um, like covering the ground, that can have um, an influence on the temperature of the air. Um, Indeed, yeah. It's, it has quite a big influence uh, both locally and on, and on the climate in general. So if, if we get a situation where the snow has survived its way down, and it lands on the ground and it stays there. So it's there's a sufficient layer to layer of snow on the ground. Um, when you look at snow, you can tell that it's white or, or very bright, you know, to look at. And it's because it's reflecting most of the light that is shining on it. So um, how reflective a surface is, is called, is called its albedo. So basically one is like the most reflective surface you can have. Uh, snow has, like freshly fallen snow can have an albedo of like 0.8, 0.9. So what that means is basically it's reflecting 80 or 90% of this of the light that's shining on it. So if you think about it in terms of the sun's energy shining, um, a surface that's covered in snow is bouncing a lot of that energy back. So uh, what that's doing is it's preventing that energy from going into the ground, from warming up the ground and subsequently warming up the air around it. So uh, if you have a layer of snow on the ground, your air temperatures uh, will be lower and that subsequently makes it harder for that snow to melt. So that's why often like you'll see these snow patches that persist quite, you know, quite a long time after uh, snowfall has occurred. It's because it's locally, it's influencing the air temperature around it and it's also reflecting a lot of the sun's energy that, w- that would otherwise try to heat it up and, and to melt it. It's like one of those things, you know, where you're, you know, you're wearing a black t-shirt on a sunny day and um, you can feel the heat um, being attracted to that black t-shirt and you're getting really warm. But if you're wearing a white t-shirt, the sun gets reflected. So it's, it's actually, you know, it, it, it is a difference and it actually works in physical physical uh, situations. It, it does yeah. indeed. And it, it really comes to the fore on a global scale. So b- people will be familiar with hearing um, about how uh, the loss of snow and ice and the loss of sea ice in Arctic uh, regions um, is bad for our climate. But it might, you might sort of wonder, well, you know, say, for example, in Ireland, we don't live in there. Why, why should we be concerned about that? But it's, it's that on a global scale. So basically, if you imagine that... Um, it's, it's referred to as this ice albedo uh, feedback or feedback loop. Essentially, if you have a region that's covered in snow and ice, it's going to be reflecting a lot of the sun's energy and helping to keep the planet a little bit cooler. 
But if that snow and ice is melting and retreating, you have more exposed surface, more of the sun's energy can be absorbed, and that leads to a greater increase in heat. And we all know what happens when there's more heat, more ice and snow melts, and it's just a, a vicious cycle that continues. So um, this, this what, what, you know, what's important on a local scale can also be really important on, on, on a global scale as well. What's been happening recently as well is that not only is our increasing temperatures leading to a, a melting of snow and ice, we're also seeing the color of the snow and ice change. And this, really? Yeah. So snow and ice changes color uh, quite dramatically. Um, as I mentioned, like fresh snow is really, really bright. Yeah. And naturally, as it gets older or if it melts a little bit, uh, it will change color and it will decrease in brightness, you know. So increased melting of snow is causing the snow to be less bright and it means it's absorbing more energy and warming up. Uh, in addition, we're getting a deposition of uh, what's called black carbon. So I, I used to do a good bit of work on glaciers and things like that. And you'd be up on these places. And if you look at the snow and on the surface, it's covered in these little black pockets, these little pock marks filled with little black material. Um, and the, the glacier isn't this radiant white that you might think it would be. Mm. And basically, it's carbon that's gone up into the atmosphere from both you know, combustion engines, from forest fires, uh, general sort of both natural, both natural and greatly enhanced by anthropogenic activity. And essentially what you're doing is that's depositing then over time onto these white surfaces and making them darker and making them absorb more energy and melt quicker. And that's having a major impact on, on the longevity of snowpacks and on glaciers as well. And that's why glaciers, there's such a, um, you know, a, the canary in the cold man for, for climate change. They're, they are, um, they show you know, in real time, what actually is happening. You can see um, the effect of, of all that carbon in the air um, having an effect um, at, at, in those places. Absolutely. They're so sensitive to both changes in climate and then more environmental things, like you say, like actual, like, you know, uh, pollution and carbon in the atmosphere. And That's so like that. interesting. Is that your favourite season? Is winter your favourite season? No. It probably would be. Yeah, even I was oh, just... I'm totally summer. Yeah. I, 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 nice frosty morning is probably, yeah, uh, it's probably where you'll find me out. <laughs> Time now to head over to Paul Moore, who has the details on how our weather has been this past November. Here are the seasonal highs and lows for autumn 2019 based on data from Metairn's 25 synoptic weather stations. Autumn 2019 was cooler than average everywhere in Ireland. It was wetter than average in most places apart from the northwest. The dominant feature of the season was the southerly tracking jet stream during October and November, which kept it mostly unsettled and cool, and brought the majority of the rainfall to the south and east of the country. September was milder and sunnier, but rainfall amounts were still mostly above average. The sunniest place was in the southeast, where Johnstown Castle County Wexford recorded 347 hours of sunshine for the season, 16% above average. Allen Head in County Donegal was the dullest place, with 243 hours of sunshine, 2% above average. Dublin Airport was the only station with below average sunshine for the season, mainly due to its dullest November since 1983. The wettest place for the season was the Valencia Observatory in County Kerry with 551mm of rainfall, which is 16% above average. The driest place was Malinhead, County Donegal with 299mm, which is 9% below its average. Dublin Airport had 354.8mm of rainfall for the season, 67% above average. 
and this again was mainly due to the very wet November, which saw 173mm of rainfall, which is 137% above its average, and its wettest November since 2002. The wettest day of the season was at Moore Park, County Cork on the 14th of October, with 56.2mm of rainfall, which is its wettest autumn day since 2000. The highest mean temperature for the season was on Shirkin Island, County Cork, with a seasonal mean temperature of 11.5 degrees Celsius, which is 0.5 degrees Celsius below its average, while the lowest seasonal mean temperature was 8.7 degrees Celsius at Knock Airport, which is 0.3 degrees Celsius below its average. The highest temperature for the season, 22.1 degrees Celsius, was reported at three stations, Dublin's Phoenix Park and Moore Park, County Cork on the 3rd of September and Athenrye, County Galway on the 19th of September. The lowest temperature was reported at Mount Dillon, County Roscommon on the 18th of November with minus 5.5 degrees Celsius. It was not a particularly windy season with only one named storm, Storm Lorenzo an ex-tropical system affecting Ireland on the 3rd and 4th of October. Globally, according to the World Meteorological Organization, 2019 is likely to be the second or third warmest year on record. Past five years are now almost certain to be the five warmest years on record, and the past decade, 2010 to 2019, to be the warmest decade on record. Since the 1980s, each successive decade has been warmer than any preceding decade since 1850. Thanks for that, Paul. Well, that brings us to the end of this month's podcast and our last podcast of this year. We'd like to say a big thank you to everybody who has helped bring the podcast to life this year, including Gavin Gallagher and Joanne Walker at Met Aaron, Alan Bennett and the team here at Headstuff, all our great guests, and of course, our excellent choir, the Ice of Ours. Thanks also to the team at the Department of Housing, Planning and Local Government, including Tim Carey, Stephen Deneen and Kayleigh O'Donoghue. We're very grateful for the support shown by our listeners since we started in June, and we look forward to bringing you some great episodes in the new year, including a look at the science behind surfing and a storm-chasing special from the plains of Tornado Alley. Thanks for tuning in, and as always, you can find more information on our webpage at met.ie forward slash podcast. You can also subscribe to the podcast on the webpage or wherever you normally get your podcast from. And get in touch with us using the MetAaron Twitter and Facebook pages, using the hashtag MetAaronPodcast or by e- emailing us at podcast.met.ie. We are going to leave you now in the hands of the Isobars and their rendition of White Christmas. We hope you'll join us again in 2020. But until then, from all the team, a, a very, very Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas.